Hey, it's Nelly. And it's Juno. And you're listening to Two Addies and Coffee, please. Where we share unfiltered life experiences as young, badass Asian American women with ADHD. Welcome to the first episode of Two Addies and a Coffee, Please. Don't worry, it's prescribed. So before we jump into it, what was kind of the inspiration behind this podcast, Juno? So mental health isn't really openly talked about. And as Asian American women, it can be especially unacknowledged. And with the current pandemic and major mental health crisis we're in, we really wanted to open this discussion and normalize these issues and also humanize them with real people and authentic experiences. So to start off, Nelly, what is your relationship with mental health? I would say pretty non-existent. And I think in part it was due to my identity. So growing up as an Asian American woman, it's not traditionally talked about in our culture. And I think my family's pretty like traditionally Chinese. And I don't know if you listeners out there can relate to not being openly able to express your emotions or being allowed the space to do so. And I think we don't talk about our emotions, so mental health isn't even a thing that we talk about. It's like physical health, and that's it. And mental health isn't even in the realm of conversation. So I didn't really learn about mental health until like in school where we taught about it academically in like psychology classes. And I don't think my parents even really consider a real field until my sister actually ends up working in the mental health industry and that kind of pays the bills. So it's kind of like, okay, yeah, this is a real industry and people need help and that's why they go to her. But it's still kind of talked about on the down low or using euphemisms to talk about mental health and it's always behind closed doors, so never openly. And I think growing up in that sort of environment where it's more like tough love and culturally less affectionate. So I don't remember my parents ever directly saying like, oh, I love you, but it's always implied through their actions. So those things always made me feel like talking about emotions or feelings were sort of like a sign of weakness. So I'd always bottle that up. And generally, like from friends I talk to who also were grown up in that sort of environment where you guys don't talk about emotions openly, it's also difficult to let people in to help you when you are going through something difficult. Even now, when experiencing a loss in the family, we never addressed our grief directly to each other. So like I cried, they cried, and it was all separate. So they like processed it alone, but we're all together in the same place. It was just separate, like we compartmentalized our experiences, but it was this shared experience. And it's like a silent agreement or an understanding of our shared pain. But for some reason, we don't kind of narrate it how we see in movies or like, oh, how do you feel? I feel this way. And like, how do you feel? You feel that way. We don't do that at all. It's a little difficult. I think it's more of a cultural gap. And I'm a lot more open now. But I can remember back in high school when I used to be super stressed and I couldn't identify that it was stress and I wouldn't notice until I got migraines and I had itchy hives all over my body and I'd be so anxious that I'd allot myself 15 minutes to cry in the bathroom because I probably read somewhere that crying relieves stress and I was like, okay, I only have 15 minutes. I'm going to use it productively and like take all the time so I'm just going to cry. So I would pull up sad videos or like those advertisements that were really sad, watch it, cry for 15 minutes, come out of the bathroom, be like, okay, I'm ready for work. Like, that's all. Like, I have to be efficient, you know? And then after you get that peace from crying, you get, like, a little tired. So I, like, drink coffee, and I'm like, 
I'm ready to go and be productive. So obviously that's not the most healthy way to address mental health and deal with it. It's not until after college that I really took care of myself. And I still have a hard time identifying my emotions. I don't know if you guys can relate to that. Wow. Um, I was your friend for several years and I didn't know you were going through some of the stuff you mentioned, like not knowing you were stressed until you got hives and allotting yourself that time to cry in the bathroom watching sad videos because you read it somewhere that it would make you less stressed. I actually went through that like a couple weeks ago and it was definitely a lot to go through. So you mentioned earlier that it took a while before your family really acknowledged that like mental health was a thing. When did that kind of happen for you personally? I think it was probably in AP psychology class. And I remember Mm. taking that in junior year. And I was like, oh my God, like every chapter, it was like depression. I'm like, do I have that? Next chapter, anxiety. I'm like, do I? Do I have that too? And there's like (laughs) bipolar. And I was like, do I I have that too? Because like we all exist on a range. Not like you have it or you don't have it. We all experience some symptoms or different intensities, but I think it becomes like a disorder when it's chronic and intensity is like really high. When you read all these things, I can relate to every single aspect of it. And that's the first gateway into like, oh, this is a thing, like a real thing. And it's like the DSM-5 and learning about all of these disorders. And then I also took post-AP psychology. So we learned more about these disorders in depth and also more documentaries. So that, that really opened up my mind to this whole entire world of mental health and like things like that. What do you think was most helpful for you when you found out all this information? Like you mentioned your sister works in the field? Yeah, so I think having my sister work as a social worker and she is a therapist. So for her, it's very normal for people to talk about their struggles openly and just kind of cry or be angry, just kind of feel their feelings. And I think when she brings that kind of home, not like the baggage home, but kind of talking about those issues openly with my parents of like, and I think the reaction my parents initially had was, yeah, everyone goes through it. It's fine. Kind of like a share. Yeah, you go through it. I go through it. It's a known fact that we all struggle, but it's also accepted to not talk about it. And I think when she first came home and started asking my parents these like different questions, kind of probing at them of their emotions and what they were thinking when they were in this situation and when they were raising us this way, like what were they thinking? And I think that definitely caused them to reflect a little bit more and be more open to different struggles. Not necessarily like they can understand it, but they know, okay, depression is a real thing and they can openly know that seeking help isn't taboo and it's actually like a good thing to do so then you can be better for your family and your friends and just be a better whole person. That's huge. It must be really nice for your parents to finally acknowledge that. Yeah, it's definitely a lot. I feel like I still don't <laughs> talk about it because it's just like, yeah, I'll deal with it by myself. Do you want to talk a little bit about your experience and your relationship with mental health? I think similarly, I was a little bit uncomfortable expressing my emotions growing up. My dad passed away when I was younger. And we didn't find out for like about five or six years. So it was a really slow process without really any closure. And I didn't really realize that that had an effect on me until therapy this year, actually. I think it was a combination of that and me trying to be like this perfect child, Um, especially when we were going through difficult times. Like I was trying to be this like perfect daughter, perfect sister. And I'm sure some of you out there um, might experience this, but like being trying to be like good and perfect all the time makes it really difficult for you to acknowledge like your mental health and being able to express your needs. And that's been definitely a really big struggle for me to work on. And I think I've been getting better now. 
And in high school, my younger brother was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and had a really difficult period. I think that was the first time I really processed that mental health is a super serious and could be a life or death matter. And it's not something you should take lightly. I think initially I felt like really shitty because I definitely was super ignorant growing up with my brother. And I would always tell him like, oh, you're not depressed. Like, look at you, like you're laughing right now. And I would think that I can talk him out of doing things, which is really, really silly. And I actually found out earlier this year that I also have bipolar disorder. And in terms of my relationship with mental health, it can sometimes be scary because it's difficult to know sometimes what exactly is happening to you. I know looking back at last year, it's very obvious that I had pretty serious hypomanic episodes. But at the time, I was like, oh, it's just me being me. And I didn't really know, and especially until Nelly actually and my cousin validated some of the things I was doing that was super out of character and a little bit like weird and risky. And after talking to people and reflecting a lot, I finally accepted my diagnosis. I developed bipolar disorder, I think like three years ago, and I didn't really have anxiety then. I've been experiencing that a little bit more recently. It's definitely been tough for the past few years, and it's still tough. But in a weird, like twisted way, I'm a little bit grateful for the experiences I've had because I've definitely proven to myself that I have emotions, sometimes like overwhelmingly so. And I think these struggles are forcing me to make a serious effort to understand what my needs are and really try to get them met. And I definitely have a long way to go. But I think the first step is making that decision. And I'm really looking forward to working on that and sharing it with you guys. Awesome. I think you mentioned not being able to identify your needs and wants and trying to be like that perfect child. And I think a lot of people can relate to that of Mm. trying to be perfect. So how did you kind of break out of that mold of like reaching for perfection constantly and being stressed about that and identifying like, oh, I need these things to be happy or like you don't need other things to be happy and kind of like not seek that validation anymore, but kind of be okay with yourself? That is a hard question. I'm not actually sure it's something I've gotten over. One thing I do think that helps is being honest. I always thought that I was a very open person, like, and I share things like very casually sometimes even, but I realized that like with my emotions and how I feel about things, I have a very hard time being vulnerable. And I'm going from that to like exposing everything on like, this podcast, so that's interesting. But I really think that this year especially, I've been a lot more vulnerable with my cousins and my brother and like Nelly and my friends, I'm definitely getting better. And I think being honest and open and vulnerable really helps me realize what's important and kind of admit why I'm doing certain things. And I feel like that's so cliche and cheesy, but it's true. Like when you try to be perfect all the time, sometimes it's unconscious. Like you think you make a lot of decisions because you really want to, when in reality, you're like reacting to certain expectations and like needs of other people. And I think when you really try to express how you feel about things, it makes you understand what your needs are. When you really understand what your needs are, you work to and your friends help you and like want you to meet them. So I think that helps me overcome this strive to be perfect. I haven't solved it yet, but I'm definitely getting better. (laughs) I think like, especially growing up with like the difficulties that my brother was having, I always felt this need to be helping. Like, oh, I need to help you. I need to help you get out of this and my mom without my dad like I don't know she's like a single parent and she's not home all the time so I would like have to step it up and do a lot of these things and I think actually it's when I moved out and I moved to Denver and I started living on my own and realizing I had all of these issues um, and I was depressed and I didn't really know what to do about it especially because of like some of the ADHD issues that I had which I didn't know was an issue at the time I was like completely undiagnosed with anything 
And I had to really reflect and think about like, why am I so unhappy? Why am I so frustrated? I definitely did not express my needs super well then. And talking about these openly is really important. You also mentioned feeling this need of helping your brother. How do you help him, but also help yourself? So you mentioned that he also has a bipolar disorder and mm. um, other things. So I think what's kind of like your advice in terms of helping someone with mental health issues as well, but also dealing with it yourself? Yeah, it's definitely changed. I've come a long way, I think, in my perspective in helping other people. I think when I was in high school or when I was in college and he was going through that, my immediate instinct was like, let me solve your problem for you. Let me sit down next to you and like do your homework for you. Let me tell you exactly what to say. And I think like that approach is very, very like, it feels like you're coming from the outside and you're not really being there with them. And I feel like now it can definitely be a mutually beneficial process. I don't know, these days when I talk to my brother, it's like we're both going through similar shit. And even if I'm not going through shit, like I'm able to relate to him and like talk through some of the issues I've been having and kind of like validate things he was going through. It definitely helps that we can relate to each other. But I think just being there for them and not necessarily trying to solve their issues. I think before I was like, you can just solve it this way. Why can't you do this? And that was the worst approach ever. I think like understanding that they have serious struggles, relating to them, supporting them, showing them that you love them is the most important and that you care. I would say that definitely the biggest thing that's changed is you don't need to solve their issues and acknowledging what they're going through and that they're super strong, even if they're not able to pick themselves up. Yeah, I definitely agree with like the solving people's problems. <laughs> so I'm just like, yeah, like I see a problem. We identify all of the potential solution sets <laughs> and then we pick the one that can optimize with all of the resources and constraints. And you're like, okay, that's like solution A. We can go into that. <laughs> but I feel like that's definitely not the right way to approach like all situations. Yeah, for sure. I think that was reflected in my relationships with my friends too. And I realized how much it could help me. I've always had this weird relationship and it might be from when I was younger and the attachment issue I had from my dad disappearing. But being there with my friends definitely made friendships feel more mutually beneficial to me. I Growing up, maybe because of the fact that I was always helping my brother, always helping my mom and feeling like things are being taken away from me. I've transferred that over to friends and I've always like viewed friends as like taking things from me. And I think when I realized that I'm not there to solve people's problems and they don't want me to solve their problems. They just want me to be there with them and them to be there for me. I've become a lot more relaxed and I really saw how much value I get from my friendships. Even when they're going through a difficult time and I'm not, or if I'm going through a difficult time and they're not, it's just always like mutually really nice. Yeah, I could definitely agree with that. Like having friends be around you and having that social support is definitely super important to have like Mm -hmm. solid friends and like a solid network of support that you might need. I think like treatments are definitely super important. Like you should always seek professional help, but it can make a world of a difference just connecting with a friend and or reaching out to somebody and just like a simple phone call and just be like, hey, let's watch a movie. Like something so silly like that can make a big difference. And if you don't feel comfortable yet in sharing your struggles with your friends, I recommend meme accounts on Instagram (laughs) and Reddit stories. Oh my god, yes. (laughs) So after we were diagnosed, we actually talked with quite a few adults with ADHD. And we found that for a lot of people, what they were lacking was like a sense of community and a community of people who understood what they were going through. Nellie and I got so much value out of our friendship Um, especially from this like mutual understanding of our struggles. So what we want to do is help provide that understanding and normalize mental health with our everyday experiences. Like I have ADHD and bipolar disorder. Nellie has ADHD and anxiety, but we're still normal everyday people. 
Maybe normal is not the right word, <laughs> but I don't think anyone's normal. We really just want you to know that you're not alone and hopefully provide some encouragement from these experiences. Thank you for listening to episode zero of Two Addies and a Coffee, Please. Stay tuned for the next episode where we talk about authentic accounts of our struggles and experiences with ADHD.